listening to Punch Radio. And today in the studio, we have Brennan, Hank, Tony, Kathy, and Jody. And to lead things off with some hot, breaking Lego news is Kathy. <laughs> So I got an email today, some really exciting Lego news, Lego Star Wars news. Um, Lego, Tony's face, just he just saw the picture. Lego is making an Imperial Star Destroyer that is massive. It'll be like the, the Millennium Falcon, the it, giant Millennium it Falcon. Is huge. It, it is, is huge. It is huge. It's it, also giant cash, I just saw, too. It is also giant cash. Uh, it is $849.99. Wow. Is that American dollars? That is Canadian, Canadian dollars. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is uh, Ultimate Collector Series 75252 Imperial Star Destroyer. They have named the Star Destroyer the Devastator. The Devastator. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a devastating name. It's supposed to be the, the New Hope ship that's in the opening scene, you know, where... Sh- Wow. Comes across there, and it it also comes with uh, a scale model of the Tantive. Nice Tantive. Yeah. Okay, so you found out about this today. Yep. It's going. It's. I'm not going to tell people on the air because I don't want to be fighting for it on October first <laughs> when it goes for sale. <laughs> when the Millennium Falcon first came out, uh, the day that it came out, it actually shut down the Lego site. People were trying to order it, and uh, the first. I think it was the first 500 people were given like a special card. Um, oh, yeah, and there right, was the everyone black was card. Yeah, the black yeah. card, the, and everyone was very excited about it. So it shut down. So, so if you're out there, uh, and it, well, obviously you can still get the Millennium Falcon now. So it's not the end of the world. It's not like I had to be on the phone at four in the morning like I was to get this black <laughs> card, which actually did nothing at all. But it was very exciting. Well, there you go. That is good news, Kathy, because I'm going to buy that. VIPs can get it uh, September 18th. And that is what we will be doing. There How do you become a Lego VIP? Uh, does anyone know the process of that? They have to sign up for something. You sign or? up. That's it. Yeah. yeah. It's name and address, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought maybe they had to like take a picture of your biggest Lego no. contraption or something. You know, like prove <laughs> no. that you have the the, no. the chops. No. <laughs> so, how many people in the studio right now are Lego VIPs? I am. I am. That's three. That's three, Joey. <laughs> I am not. The best, VIP. the best thing about being a VIP is you order it online and you get points. And then the more points you get, the more off you get on the next Lego. So with this $900 Lego, I'm going to get $30 off. Yeah, wow. I save all my points. And then what I do is I buy a bunch of stuff for the kids and I to build. And then with all the points I save, I buy something just for me. Because it doesn't cost you. It's just extra points that are sitting there just for me. Did you know the Lego points system changed? Yes. So now you have to pre-make your gift card online. You can't just walk up to the mm-hmm. store and say, I want to use my points. And you can use them to go to Legoland. Have you been to oh, Legoland? Yeah. Anybody been to Legoland? Lego. Nope. No. Oh. I've been to some big Lego thing. I don't know what it was, though. Like in Denmark? No, no, not that one. I was in, I, I, at Disney. They had a Lego thing. I don't know. But I did once. I'm not a VIP, but I signed up for something, and I got to vote to help make the Ramones be a Lego set. Whatever, whatever that is. Whatever. Oh, I Lego ideas. Yeah. There yeah, you go. Yeah. I did that. Yeah. yeah. You're still and not a VIP, though. You should be a VIP. The Lego, the Lego, um, yeah, the Lego uh, ideas is where people actually take their ideas, obviously, and they give it to Lego, and Lego decides whether or not they will make it as a set. And that happens quite a bit. The Lego Ramones would have been the best set ever. 
but it has not been made yet. So your vote didn't but, count. <laughs> uh, my, I think my vote probably counted the most. And that, that's why it's still in development, because they want to make sure that it'll be up to my standard of Lego. Oh. Okay. Anybody else other than me going to get this uh, giant uh, ship on the whatever that is, 18th of September? Because I'm excited. Hey, no. Hey, Tony, can I borrow uh, $900? <laughs> you know what? My credit card is open for... For order, all purchases. Two, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I might. Well, that is very exciting news, but there is more exciting news to be had. Um, Hank is going to clue us in on what's happening at Sask Expo coming up. That's like next weekend. Holy smoke. So, uh, yeah, he took a little time with Mike Fisher to talk about some of the guests and exciting things are on their way. So uh, check this out. Well, thanks, Jody. It is me, Hank. I am here today with the one and only Mike Fisher from Sask Expo, Saskatchewan Entertainment Expo, Saskatoon. Saskatoon version. Coming up September 14th and 15th, Prairieland Park, like yes. the, the World Trade Center. Right, right. For the world. Yes, the entire world. Right here in Saskatoon. <laughs> so, Sask Expo, we're all excited. Yes. Who Who's coming? For people that don't know. For people that don't know, for media guests this year, we've got Billy Dee Williams, uh, obviously Star Wars and a bunch of other stuff. we got Michael Rooker. Marina Sirtis, Johnny Young Bosch, who's a Black Power Ranger, and a ton of voice work, including Akira, a lot of seminal films, and Caitlin Glass, who's got a another voice actor who's got a, a resume as long as my arm. There, so there's some great guests coming. We've got two people coming from uh, Kim's Convenience, which is yes. really exciting, because um, we're trying to kind of head in that direction a little bit more with Canadian TV and not just nerd stuff, like entertainment overall. So for those people that have not watched the show, and I started watching because he told me they were coming, and I started watching. I love the show. Right. What, what is Kim's Convenience all about? Well, it's about a Korean family that owns a, a convenience store in Toronto, um, and so it's very Canadian in that aspect. But I, but I, um, it's more about their experience as first and second generation Canadians. Um, but what I really appreciate about it is they're just really well written characters. Um, they're flawed and awesome and complicated. It's, there's no stereotypes, which I really, really appreciate because it's you connect to them because I think we're all connected. So it's not like you're going, oh, what, what's this about? It's just a Korean experience. It's a human experience, but from that angle, which I think is really, really cool. So And super funny. Like, there's more laughs than, than I, I even expected, you know. Um, but I think CBC is doing some great comedy right now. Between Like, I know Letterkenny isn't CBC, but between that and Schitt's Creek... Creek and Kim's This isn't Jimmy Fallon where we can put the thing on the bottom. <laughs> right. Okay. Like right. people can't see this. Body yeah. Um so yeah, there's some great comedy happening on TV right now for in Canada, which I think is awesome. We're all we're, we're funny people. We are funny. And so people. I just like when it's represented well. And I like when it's not uh stereotypical Canadian and people south of the border. Right. Can love like Shits Creek got nominated for how many uh awards down in the States? Yeah, you know, a bunch like, of Emmys you. and yeah. And uh, Wetter Kenny taken off down there, now it's on Hulu down in the States. Yeah, and even like Kim's Comedians just won the I think most our best comedy uh award in the the Soul mm-hmm. Film Awards, Film T V Awards. So that's pretty cool. They flew out there to get to get that award, so it's exciting. So people that haven't watched it, you should watch it right now. Yeah, the first two seasons are on Netflix, and I think the third is streaming on CBC. So, was... um, whoa, that's CBC Gem. Gem, sorry, Gem. Yes, Gem. Yeah, because they're trying to. The third season's on there because they want everybody to come to their website now, mm-hmm. which I understand. But it, they're they're all free, is what I'm trying to say. If you have Netflix. Yeah, yeah. If you got Netflix, if you got yeah. Netflix, who it's, doesn't have? It's Netflix? pretty much free. Yeah. So. You said uh, some guests, uh, but uh, we got Star Wars and we got Star Trek. Star Trek, yes. So oh, coming right. together, Sirtis, yes. Okay, at Expo. So wh- where do you sit? 
Star Wars or Star oh, Trek? Definitely Wars. Really? Oh yeah, for sure. I am Trek all the way. I know that's, but I think that's why we fit together so well because we bring different things to the table. You and, complete me, and I, I, I can appreciate Trek. I know I really appreciate the deeper philosophical aspect mm-hmm. of it. Um. But often I watch it to fall asleep because the hum of the ship and yes. sort of the debates about the <laughs> morality right. or whatever. Where Star Wars is like every year I watch it. Yeah, and it's just like swashbuckling and exciting. Uh, I go through different phases, but overall I'd say I watch Wars way more. So now that we've covered uh, Beverly Crusher and uh, Counselor, uh, Deanna Troy in right. Saskatoon, we've covered Jordy LaForge down in Regina. Right. So now uh, maybe maybe some Will Riker, maybe some uh, yeah. Data. Maybe yes. Some Data. Picard some can't come. He's busy. But. Picard is busy. Yeah. He's, I mean, that be that, that would be amazing. But yeah, we could. There's still Brent Spiner and, and uh, uh, Jonathan Frakes. Jonathan Frakes is still on the table too. So we, you know, we we love having Trek people here. They've got great stories. Great stories. It is great for me. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Oh man, I embarrassed myself in front of Jordy and Regina. It was pretty good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is that a, is that an on air story? No. No. No, we'll that's not. Later. We can't talk about that on Punch Radio. <laughs> right. No. So tickets available on your website, saskexpo.com. You bet. In yeah. person at at Amazing Stories and A Street Books in Saskatoon. Yeah. And out of town, they're available at. There's Game Haven in uh, Humboldt, and then there's two comic reader locations, comic readers locations in Regina. So, uh, in the Regina. but we're getting close to being out of physical tickets. So, if you want to grab physical tickets, do it sooner rather than later. And if not, tickets on the website, of course, saskexpo.com. Yeah. The advanced tickets will be available till midnight on Friday, and then the tickets are five dollars and ten dollars, ten dollars more respectively, on site. Are they cash only, like Regina? Yes, it's definitely cash Good. only. Good. So people bring all your cash money. Yes, absolutely. For your autographs. Yeah, because you'll need cash anyway. And so, buying all the art. Yeah. And the sweet merchandise. Yes, all the pop figures and all the things, the art, everything you want. Oh, guess what? We're out of time. We've got to send it back to Jody. So I look forward to seeing you yes. and everybody at Sask Expo. See back you to you, Jody. Thank you, Hank. All right. Well, um, yeah, super pumped about Sask Expo. It's next weekend. Lots of good stuff in store. You can check out their website for more information. Um, but uh, hopefully that'll fill in you with some details of what uh, good guests are coming. And next up, we have Brennan. And Brennan is, um, for whatever reason, obsessed with 1989 right now. So what's so great about 1989? 1989, musically, is a year that is this, this interesting, pivotal year between some of big bands having the record that kind of was the one they left on and the next wave of bands that had the record that set them up for the next big one. Okay. Um, last week, I went and saw UHF at the Roxy Theater. Please go to the Roxy Theater and support them. And it was the 30th anniversary of UHF. And I realized that was in 1989. So that got me thinking, what other, what else could we be celebrating having the 30th anniversary? And when I did a very, very, very quick research, I realized there's way more than I expected. So we're going to talk about music from 30 years ago. So one I've already talked about in great length, so I won't talk about it too much now. The Batman soundtrack by Prince. Sold 11 million copies. Was a huge deal. Uh, the whole Batman phenomenon is taking over culture as it did. So another one that is good to know about, uh, The Miracle. Does everyone have this one in the record collection? Anybody? Mm. The Miracle by Queen. Ah. This was released in 1989. This was when Brian May was going through quite a bit of marital problems. Uh, Freddie Mercury had his AIDS diagnosis, but it wasn't made public yet, and the band knew about it. What This wasn't the biggest selling album of their career, but it was the second last album with Freddie Mercury on it. So if we're kind of looking at my formula between bands having that album that set up the next one, this was their second last record, which 
uh, kind of makes it sort of historical in the fact that it was sort of before all the news and things about Queen and uh, had come out. Um, looking at some bigger bands, there was a band called The Cure, who in 1989 released their album. Anyone know? Who remembers? Disintegration. Ooh. Disintegration is sort of the one Cure album that if you have in your collection, this is the one that you bought. Um, they went back to sort of their gloomier roots for this record. Uh, it's a very moody, darker album compared to the ones they had coming out before it. And The Cure was always this band that went back and forth between some songs that were very, very poppy. I saw an interview with Robert Smith, and the interviewer said, how does it feel to be pegged as this depressing band? And his comment was, well, Love Cats isn't a song you'd hear in hell now, is it? <laughs> right? Um, and so he was very well aware of this. So he purposely wrote this sort of darker, moodier goth album, which was their first huge critical hit, um, their first big commercial peak. So it charted number three in the United Kingdom and reached number 12 in the United States. And uh, several of its hit singles, including Love Song, peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100. And it was the album that really set them up as one of the greatest bands of the 80s, but they never really had an album that succeeded past that. They had good albums after, I'm not saying they didn't, but this was definitely like the, the, the peak of their career. At that same year, Nine Inch Nails released Pretty Hate Machine. Now the reason I put these ones together was because Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor is the type of artist that would have said, The Cure is the band that helped me become a band, right? They were goth, and, and that's what really influenced me. Um, so Pretty Hate Machine was uh, a decent success for Trent Reznor. Uh, the big single on it was Head Like a Hole, which you have probably heard on, on commercials and things. And it's kind of the one song people remember from that record. This record was the one that came out before his huge hit in the 90s, which was The Downward Spiral, which really made brought industrial music to, to the forefront and made him a huge superstar. Um, some quick ones, The Real Thing by Faith No More, their biggest sounding album that again brought this whole industrial metal sound forward. Uh, Tom Petty released Full Moon Fever. Ooh. Motley Crue released Dr. Feel Good, which was the last album that had uh, Vince, uh, Vince Neil on it until they did Generation Swine. The Beastie Boys released Paul's Boutique. So great. Billy Joel released Stormfront that had, that, right? Didn't start the fire. It was one of those years that just had a slew of great songs, but very much this, this sort of year where sort of the old guard was paving the way for the new guard. All right. Well, thank you for that little uh, survey of 1989, 30 years ago. Bit of a blast from the past. Yep. Now, Tony has another blast from the past for us. 1983. I like the way we're going back here. Oh, there we yeah, go. Yeah, I know. I, if I would have known, I would have thrown some 89. But I'm going back to 1983. The other day, I do not buy a lot of records. Um, I listen to a lot of music, but I don't buy a lot of records. And I was out shopping, and I see a record. And it is Teenage Head. Tornado. Back in 1983, Teenage Head came out with a record called uh, Tornado, and they re-released it. Uh, it's on yellow and green vinyl. They have a nice little booklet inside, and it's exciting for me because between the Star Wars years of 80 and 90, I was a teenager, and I was buying music, and I was obsessed with a band called Teenage Head. I saw them live when I was underage, and it was very exciting for me. So when I saw this album, it was kind of surprising because the album came out so long ago and now I just found out that Teenage Head is still around, they're, they're touring uh, and their lead singer has passed away obviously, uh, but, well not obviously, but it was, it was not obvious to me at all, but 2008 he passed away. So here I was in the record store and I find this album and I take it home and I'm listening to it and it's basically they've remastered the whole album 
And uh, when the album first came out, the band changed their names. They were on M- they, they were the first time that they were actually on uh, on a major record label MCA in the states, and they made them change their name to Teenage Heads. Which yeah, yeah well, they were I guess there was some kind of problem with that name. So anyway, so what happened was they did this, and then the band right after that they, that was their big break. Uh, but MCA dropped them after the after that album, and they became kind of a an uh, under um, a, a band that wasn't actually. I don't know. They weren't around much after that, I don't think. So anyway, I just want to tell you a little bit about Teenage Head. Uh, they, they got the name from the, from the Flaming Groovies uh, album, Teenage Head. Uh, the first album was done was back in 1978. When it first came out, the album was kind of a punk record. Mm-hmm. They actually, their, the last Pogo concert in 1978 ended in a riot, and they made a film about it. You can actually get, get that film called The Last Pogo. It was a big riot in Toronto. Uh, they were in the movie... The class of 1984. Anybody remember the night class of 1984? Remember who was in it? I remember seeing the VHX box for it. It is Michael J. Fox's first movie, Canadian-made movie, and Michael J. Fox's first movie. Um, the reason that I found Teenage Head to be so fascinating, even now, is the move the. The band themselves was one of those bands that was a Canadian band that really rocked hard, and they were out there, but they never quite hit their their stride enough to actually become famous. So they were they were the rock and party band that was always there. The fact that they're still going to me is pretty exciting. Um, so the album itself is actually kind of a rockabilly album. Um, the, the sound, the song Tornado is just kind of an annoying song. Um, it really is. It's not a good song, but like there's there's kind of more of like a rockabilly thing going with Blood Boogie and uh, Love for Sale and Don't Cage Me, which is actually really cool. So I just wanted to say, if anybody's out there and they want to pick up kind of a neat little thing, Teenage Head, Tornado, you can go back in time to 1983, and uh, I think it's pretty fabulous. Okay, there's a recommend from Tony's Archive. All right, well, we're going to throw things over to Craig next. Um, he wants to talk about this whole madness surrounding Joker and how people are saying that you know it encourages young white males to be violent, which I personally don't think they need any encouragement or help there. Um, but um, how that ties into a few years ago when Harry Potter was like being talked about to being banned. So uh, here is Craig with a little bit of uh, movie news for you. Hey, it's Craig Sillifan here for Punch Radio, and you can find me on your social media at Craig Sillifan. Here are the things in pop culture that I'm thinking about this week. You probably saw this story already. The long-beloved Harry Potter books have been yanked from the library shelves of St. Edward's Catholic School in Nashville, Tennessee, evidently for fear that students will conjure evil spirits upon reading the wizard-centric series. The Reverend Dan Rehill laid out his objections to the book uh, in an email. He said, these books present magic as both good and evil, which is not true. The curses and spells used in the books are actual curses and spells, which when read by a human being risk conjuring evil spirits into the presence of the person reading the texts. Now, <laughs> let's go back to that in a minute. Let, let me let me finish reading this story here. Uh, he says, it's not just the book's magical properties. He also claims the misadventures of Harry Potter and his friends provoke a Machiavellian approach to achieving the ends they desire. Okay, sure. 
Uh, Rehill's decision to remove the books from circulation came on the recommendations of exorcists in the United States and Rome. The uh, St. Edward Catholic School is K-8, and it's not actually the first to purge the series. In fact, the American Library Association uh, in a 2000-2009 survey named Harry Potter the most banned book in the United States primarily for religious reasons. Rebecca Hamill is the superintendent of schools for the Catholic Diocese of Nashville, and she said Rehill is well within his authority authority to act in this manner. Each pastor has canonical authority to make such decisions for his parish school, she said, which I'm sure that's fine. That makes sense, I guess. Hamill said the books have been pulled from a new library, but believes they still remain in other school libraries throughout the diocese. She said students are still allowed to read the books on school grounds. Hamill said ultimately the decision over whether children should read the books lies with the parents rather than the Catholic Church. Okay, sure. Uh, she said, while the Catholic Church expresses no formal position on the books and related movies, many voices in the church, even at higher levels, have expressed that the subject matter may be appropriate when due consideration is given to the maturity of the reader. We leave these decisions to you, the parent, as your children's primary educator. So it may be appropriate, given the maturity of the reader, that they can conjure some evil spirits, if they're mature enough to handle said evil spirits, I guess is what that means. But uh, anyway, can we go back to that <laughs> that paragraph? These books present magic as both good and evil, which is just not true. The curses and spells used in the books are actual curses and spells, which when read by a human being risk conjuring evil spirits into the presence of the person reading the text. Now, does somebody need to tell this person magic is not real? I don't I don't even get how this is like an adult that's in charge of children's educations that's saying all this stuff. Anyway, you have to laugh at all these uh, boycotting of things like Harry Potter, too, because really, ultimately, it just creates that Barbara Streisand effect of, uh, you know, everyone wanting to do the thing you're telling them not to. And, you know, I don't again, I don't understand why you'd want to take a, a series that's made millions of kids happy and uh, roast it like that, especially when the Catholic Church should probably be focusing on its own problems. Something else I'm thinking about this week is the premiere of Joker at the Venice Film Festival. It drew an eight-minute standing ovation uh, the other Saturday night there for Joaquin Phoenix, Todd Phillips, uh, and the origin story they've mapped out for Batman's arch-villain. This movie is becoming a runaway train of good reviews and people wanting to see it. Joaquin Phoenix stars as Arthur Fleck, a sad sack and mentally troubled man who transforms into an icon of violent nihilism. Now, obviously comparisons to movies like Taxi Driver have come in here, uh, and there's an interesting conversation forming around this movie. Some people are saying it should be pulled because it's romanticizing the broken white man loner, as we know that type of person has been shooting up public spaces. None of the people I've read talking about this have seen the movie, which is a problem. However, if we can infer what the movie is about based on the trailer and our knowledge of the character, then I, I do think this is an interesting line of thought. I can't go down the censorship road, and while some people may treat the Joker as a hero, he's a psychopathic lunatic in the comics. He's not someone to identify with, and if, again, we use that taxi driver as, as an example you know, this movie has been compared to that, then I say, does any normal person watch Taxi Driver and think, wow, I just got to go kill a bunch of people? Of course not. If anything, art in this manner gives us conversation about these things and might even show an angry young person the ridiculousness of his anger. Now, does that mean no one will see it and, and go on a killing spree? No. Unfortunately, that could still happen. But 
that's not on the movie any more than it was on Judas Priest when that kid tried to kill himself after listening to their album. It'll be interesting to see what happens to the Joker uh, as a movie and this conversation. And like I said, I'm not uh, saying we shouldn't have this conversation. I d- like I said, I think it's an interesting line of thought. There is a certain romanticism to uh, movies like this, I, including Taxi Driver. And, you know, that can probably speak to people with uh, mental issues that might cause them to go do this stuff. But, you know, maybe I'd look at gun control or something first. Anyway, back to you, Jody. All right. Yeah, easy segue there, uh, Craig. Gun <laughs> control. Okay, well, speaking of uh, violent stuff, let's talk comics. What came out this week, and the big one that everybody was looking forward to was Spawn 300. This is like, you know, a big deal. It's Todd McFarlane's baby. Um, when the issue comes out next month, it'll be the longest-run independent-running uh, comic, blah, blah, blah. Um, it had a spelling error in it, and I, I can't get over it. So I'm we'll, we'll, we're going to let it go for the time being, and maybe... Standards. We can talk about it next week um, after Tony has read it because I know he's a big fan and we'll have a good healthy debate um, over that one. But what I do want to talk about, there are a couple other things that came out this week that are actually like worth your time. Um, One of them is not web of the black widow um it's actually not terrible and i really like black widow as a character i don't think she's really had her due i'm not a huge fan of the scarlett johansson version she's probably the best one that we've seen so far but i think that there's a potential to do a lot better and uh, this comic is utterly forgettable i read it and then i was like i have no idea what happened because i was like you know i had to flip through it again to remember and it's like meh that one you can probably shelf and let go, which is disappointing because Jody Hauser is a, is a good writer. Um, but two things that you might want to put on your radar um, from Image, Pretty Deadly, The Rat. So Pretty Deadly came out a number of years ago. Um, it's Kelly Sue DeConnick and Emma Rios. And it's sort of, you know, daughter of death, you know, retribution, blah, blah, blah. A little bit of fantastical. The art is great. The storytelling is really good. And I really like where it's going. They, uh, in the back section, they actually lay out where they see this comic going down the road. So that that's a new one that you can pick up. And then the other one is a horror-based one, um, and this is by James Tinian the Fourth, and it's called "Something Is Killing the Children." And um, and something is killing the children in the woods. Great, great title. Yeah, it. It, it 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 is what it says it is. So um, if you like horror, um, you might want to pick it up. It does kind of have like some lighter moments in it as well. I think it's got some potential. So I'm going to see where this one goes, That's and uh, I I will report back as to what is killing the children potentially down the road. And that wraps up another week of. Punch Radio. It goes by so fast. I mean, my God, Springfield. So uh, don't forget.